Colossians 2, chapter 2, verses 16, 23 says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you about what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that are were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental, spiritual forces of the world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle which have you to do with things that are destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come here today. We are here to worship you, uh, to study your word. It's not about us, it's about you, Father. And I just pray that we'll dig into your scripture this morning, that you use me as your tool to preach the good news, to preach the gospel. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. I don't have a dad joke for you today. I know I usually do every time I'm up here a goofy joke. To be honest, I couldn't find one that fit with the scripture today, so I didn't do one. Um, but when we see, when we drive down the road, we see flashing lights at railroad crossings. We see, uh, if you drive it all down 65 anymore, all you see is construction signs, construction lights saying, construction ahead, construction ahead. We see all these warnings everywhere we go. No matter where we go, we see warning signs. For those of you that have kids, you warn your kids from the time that they're baby till whenever. You're constantly warning your kids about things that they're not supposed to do, things that can get them into trouble, things that can cause them harm. But us as adults, there's warnings for us too. We still need to be warned about things, don't we? There's things out there that, that are life and death situations that we need to be warned about. And the same goes for our spiritual lives. There's things out there that we need to be warned against, to be told, to be watched out, watchful for. Moses warned the Israelites to beware of when they got to the promised land, not to forget the Lord, not to forget him. Jesus himself used the word beware many times. And the things that, one of the things that he said will fit with our sermon says, beware of false prophets. Jesus warned his people, warned them about things that were going on. We have seen in the book of Colossians so far in Colossians 2.8 that says, Paul warned them about false teachers that were, that were infiltrating the church, infiltrating the things of God. We'll see today in our section that the Colossians were blatantly being, being intimidated by these false teachers. They were being intimidated and they were, they were infiltrating the churches. They, they were going after these people. They were trying to go against the word of God. And the thing we see with these Christians, the, the Colossians at this time, they were starting to feel spiritually like they weren't, they, were, they weren't doing enough. They weren't measuring up to all these so-called false teachers. They felt they were less than necessary. They felt like they didn't deserve God, didn't deserve his spirituality. Think of it like this. It's like having the Lord and Savior, having Jesus as their Lord and Savior, having Jesus, everything that came with Jesus, it wasn't enough for them. That's how they felt. 
They were being told that there was things they still had to do. They were t- being told that there were still places they had to reach to get these spiritual lives that these false teachers had. They weren't reaching it. They weren't far enough. You see, the same thing happens today. There are Christian books out there that, that are supposed to tell the truth, and they all don't. There are Christian books that are supposed to say, oh, you've got to reach this level to get to God. You've got to reach this level to be spiritual. There's Christian music out there that's the same way, that's supposed to be telling you the truth, and they all don't. That you need to reach this level. You've got to get to this certain point to be spiritual. Most important, there are preachers and teachers who stand on the stage every Sunday that say, if you don't reach this level, if you don't get this to spiritualness of your life, you're falling short if you don't do these things. As a Christian, sometimes it's, it, it's tough. It feels like you're not, you're, not, you're not spiritual because you hear all these things and you see all these things. Am I doing something wrong because I'm not doing what they say and, and I feel like I have God, but am I spiritual enough? You feel like you fall short. But what I want you to see in this section today and it's important to see and what is Paul is teaching today and, and really warning us against is do not be intimidated by false teachers. Do not be intimidated. So far in the book of Colossians we have seen, and we kind of talked about a little bit last week, that there was false teaching going on. Um, as false teachers we talked about were infiltrating the church. Then we move in the book of Colossians we see that the basic truth of Christianity is that Christ is truth. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is all in all. Most importantly, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Savior. And most important, Jesus is all we need. He is sufficient. He is sufficient for all things. Anything that we need, He is enough. And we'll see today that Paul is attacking these heresies because what these heresies are doing the most is, is, is saying that Jesus isn't sufficient. He isn't enough. That's every, and every heresy that we're going to talk about today is that Jesus isn't sufficient. He's not enough. It's like this. These her- the three heresies that we're going to talk about today, we'll see that it is Jesus plus something else. We're going to see that. It is, it, they're going to say, well, it's good to have God, and it's necessary to have God, but you've got to have more. You've got to reach higher spots. You've got to reach different levels. We see that these Colossians, they knew what it was like, knew how it was like to be saved. They knew that, that Jesus was the way. They knew that he was the life in them. He knew that that's who you were saved by and had faith in. But you see, the more and more they hear these, these, these false teachers coming in, they're like, well, maybe I need to get a higher, maybe I need to reach higher levels. Maybe I need to do more to be more spiritual. They're being intimidated. They were being intimidated so much, they're like, well, you keep hearing all these false teachers, and they don't know what the false teachers at the point, but they keep hearing what they're saying, and they're like, man, let's go check it out. Let's see what they have to say. Let's see if what they have to say is what we need. And that's exactly what the false teachers want. They want them to do. They want them to doubt. So in our section today, we will see three types of heresies at this time in the, in, in the Church of Colossae. First off, what is heresy? Uh, I got this from the uh, uh, King James Dictionary. It says, an adherence to a religion, religious opinion contrary to the church teachings. 
So what it's saying is anything that goes against the word of God, that's what a heresy is. That's important to know because we're going to see that going forward. You have to know what heresy is. Um, We talked about a little bit in the last section last week, the heresy of human philosophy. You know, philosophy was a huge thing back in this time. You got to to have a certain level of intellectual education. And they were teaching that you could have have Jesus plus this higher education, this higher uh, philosophical uh, mindset. But Paul is telling us that's not what it is. That's not the case. You don't need anything besides Jesus. Jesus is enough. But the first heresy Paul warns us not to be intimidated by is the heresy of legalism. So legalism is our first heresy that we're going to talk about today. Again, what is legalism? Simple definition. God's laws plus man's laws. It's a simple definition. God's laws plus man, man's laws. You see, it's, it's you subscribing, subscribing your spirituality to man-made rules, submitting and keeping man-made rules over the Word of God. That is legalism. You see, that's the difference. It is worshiping man-made rules over God's rules. They were saying, you needed Jesus plus works. Jesus plus doing all these things that, that, that the law told you that you had to do. That's what they were teaching these people. But I want you to see, and this is important, obeying God's word, obeying God's rules is not legalism. The problem with legalism is keeping man-made rules over the word of God. Just because we keep what the Bible says, that doesn't make us legalists. You hear that all the time, people who aren't Christians, oh, they're just legalists, fundamentalists type because they keep the word of God. There's nothing wrong with that, but when we add our man-made rules in there, man-made ideas, that's what the problem is over God's word. That's the issue. Let's look at verse 16 and 17. It says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Look at the word therefore. We see in uh, verses 10 through 15 in the same chapter, We see that if Jesus has given us salvation, if Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, if he has given us victory over our our old self, if we believe everything is in him and from him, then don't let anybody come along and judge you spiritually on how you are with your rituals. Don't let anybody come around and judge you and intimidate you on how how you serve God, how spiritual you are. Don't let them do that. We see we have freedom in Christ. We don't need anybody to come along judging us and telling us what we have to do and what we don't have to do to become spiritual. And something interesting that when you look at this section, the Gentiles in Colossae have never kept the law. They never kept the rituals of the Old Testament because why would they? They're Gentiles. They're not Jews. So they're being intimidated to think that well, you've got to maintain and keep the things of the law that you've never known. How are they going to know how to do it? They were Gentiles, not Jews. They didn't know the rituals. They didn't know the law. We see Paul's warning them that they're they're trying to lose your freedom in Christ. They're trying to give over their spirituality to stuff that didn't matter, to stuff that doesn't matter, stuff that's man-made. That stuff doesn't matter when it comes down to it. Man-made stuff doesn't matter. 
They were judging on what they could eat, what they could drink, their religious festivals, um, like the Passover and all these different feasts that they, that they, had, to, they, were, they had to compete to do them or they weren't spiritual enough. And one of the most important things was keeping the Sabbath. In the legalism system, keeping the Sabbath was a big deal. But listen, Jesus canceled the bondage of sin. He canceled it all. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. Verse 14 of this same chapter says, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Amen and amen. Do you see that? The religious system ended at the cross. The, the law ended at the cross. You no longer had to be bound to it. And you no longer had to be suffocated by the law. Christ defeated it all. Not just some, but all of it. He had victory over the, over the law. We no longer had to subscribe to it. We no longer had to be, like we talked about, bound to it. I like the, the illustration, you're no longer in a, in a, a straitjacket. You no longer had to be constrained. It was all fulfilled. You didn't have to play the legalism game anymore. We don't have to do that. Galatians 5.1 tells us it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Do you see? We are free. I like this illustration. Imagine yourself. We're all in prison right now. Then the guard decides to open up the gate. We're all free, right? Then the guard, then you, we all decide we're just going to go to another cage and lock ourselves back up again. You see, that's foolish. We are set free. Why do we need to go back? Why do we need to go back to the bondage of the law? The Galatians, like the Colossians, were falling for the same heresy, the same heresy of legalism. We, like we talked about, we no longer have to be uh, subscribed to it. We no longer have to be bound to it. Guys, this is important, and I want you to write this down. Don't accept and let people judge you on things that aren't biblical. Do you see? We are, this is our God. This is, this is what we follow, right? The Bible, right? Someone comes along and says, oh, you got to do this to be spiritual. You got to do this to be uh, more Christian-like. If it's not in here, don't worry about it. Don't let them judge you. We have the Bible. We don't need anything outside of it, but we don't need the man-made stuff. We see from the Old Testament there were many, many food laws the unclean and clean animals, they couldn't eat bacon, they couldn't eat pork chops, they couldn't eat pulled pork. Can you imagine that? Right? I don't eat much of that stuff anymore, but it's still good. But we see Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 15, what goes into one's mouth is not defile them, but what comes out. And we see, it's not what you eat or what you drink that defiles you. It's a heart issue. It's what comes out. It's not the criteria for us, what we eat and what you drink, that makes us spiritual or not. When we do that, we, 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 it's like making a Christian out of being a game. It's like being played on the outside, on the external. When we think someone should be judged on our spirituality by what's on the outside, that's a problem. You see, outside, it's not what defiles it, it's what's on the inside. 
Titus chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 tell us in verse 14, And we'll pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. What this means is don't base your life on works. You can't work your way to God. You can't work your way to, be, to heaven. You can't work your way or pay your way to be more spiritual. You can't do that. Verse 15 of Titus 1 says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciousness are corrupted. We see some people who, who mark themselves as Christian on the outside, spiritual on the outside, and who on their inside deny who God is. They are disobedient, unfit for anything good. They are disobedient to God. I may put on the outside, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm spiritual, I'm this and that. But in your heart, you do everything that's disobedient to God. Nothing you do on the inside is fit for God. You see, we play this game of on the exterior, everything, we look spiritual. And that's what the legalism tells you. We can't evaluate someone spiritually like that. You can't do it. We see some people kept the Sabbath, right? And some didn't. Romans 14 talks about all these different things. But that's not how we should judge someone spiritually. You see, the Sabbath, Jesus was their Sabbath, right? Jesus is our Sabbath. They didn't have to keep the Sabbath. They had the Lord's Day. But if they wanted to keep the Sabbath, so be it. No biggie. It's not a make or break type of a thing. If they wanted to keep it, they kept it. If not, it's not a big deal. And I want you to see this going forward, the rest of this sermon, if you don't get anything else out of it. This is key. And the three heresies today, and any other heresy out there that you see, the number one lie of Satan is this. And that lie is Jesus isn't enough. You see? That's the number one lie of Satan is Jesus is enough. You've got to have Jesus plus something else. The lie of Satan is you've got to have more. There's got to be more to it. You can't just have Jesus. You've got to have more. Did you know every false religion, every false system out there says in order to be saved, you have to be saved by works? Every single one of them. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Mormonism, whatever. Go down the line. Every single one of them is work-based. Every single one of them. You know the only one that isn't? Christianity is the only grace-based Religion out there. That's it. None other. You see, if you have Jesus plus anything, you lose Christ. You lose Jesus. You see, they don't have Jesus in all these other false religions. They may claim that they do, but they don't. Because they're trying to add to it. They're trying to say Jesus plus something else. And in our culture and, and the society we live in, Working for things is part of our culture, right? Look at me. This is something that, that boggled my mind, but it's true. From when you're the littlest kid and you go to school, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to do your best and work to get your, the best grades you can get, right? You grow older. You get a job. You work the best that you can do to be able to move up in the world. You've got to work. You've got to work. You've got to work, right? And listen to me. I'm not saying these are bad. The Bible tells us anybody who doesn't work... And provide for his family is, is worse than an unbeliever. I'm not saying that. But our society and the world we live in, everything is you've got to work for everything that you have, right? We work for the houses that we have, the cars that we drive, the clothes that we have. Everybody thinks that you've got to work, you've got to work. But Christianity is the opposite. 
Jesus did all the work for us, right? By his grace, we are saved. We didn't do anything to deserve it. Do you see that? You see that the people of Colossae were intimidated. They were judged on what they could eat, what they could drink, the, whether they judged on whether they're spiritual enough. But listen, us out here today, us Christians out there that go to church every Sunday and Wednesday and whatever, are we guilty of this? Are we guilty of judging people on things that go on that aren't, aren't biblical or aren't this? Are we guilty of that? You bet we are. We've all fallen into that trap. I've fallen into it. You have. All of us have. Let's look at a few of the things that we've kind of fallen into that trap. First we're going to look at is Bible translations, right? Listen, there are people out there that believe if you don't have the black King James Bible, and if you don't just read the King James only, you're not spiritual enough. There's even extremists who believe that if you don't believe the King James, you're not Christian. Do you see that? They judge you on if you have the King James or not. Was the original word of God in King James? No. It wasn't even the first translation. But there are people out there that judge and say, you're not spiritual unless you have the King James. I'm not saying anything's bad about the King James. Heidi loves the King James. She uses it. That's fine. But why are we judging on somebody if they're reading the word of God? I've heard this joke, and I think it's funny. Uh, Bible translations are like ice cream. There are many good flavors out there. Then there are some that are just nasty. There are bad translations out there, but I'm not going to judge you on the translation that you use. Because it doesn't matter. The second one is a biggie. second we're going to talk about worship styles, right? There are those that believe if you worship just hymnals, you're one of those fundamental type, you're a fuddy-duddy, all you're going to do is hymnals, that's it. Then they have those who believe, oh, you've got to have a contemporary worship. And if you don't have that, you're not spiritual enough. And we see this battle back and forth, right? And I like this one, this one's kind of, you'll think it's funny, but you have those out there that raise your hand and worship, right? Right? Some people say, oh, you're just one of those crazy charismatic people, right? Then you have those that, are, that raise their hands. Oh man, look at that person. He isn't raising his hand. He must be a fundamentalist or he's a legalist. You see? Why are we judging each other on how we worship? As long as you're worshiping spirit and truth, it doesn't matter. The third one I've experienced personally, what you wear to church. All right? There are those that believe you've got to wear a suit and tie, a fancy dress. And if you don't, you're not spiritual enough. And me personally, I'm up here with a beard, a cactus shirt, and a tattoo. Some people may say, well, he's not spiritual enough. You see, there's things that we judge that doesn't really matter. We talked about it. If it isn't biblical, why are we judging it? Why do we worry about it? This is exactly what Paul is saying here. If it isn't biblical, there's no reason to judge someone about it. Look at verse 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. You see, we get a word photograph from the Greek word shadow. That's pretty cool. We get our word photograph from the Greek word shadow. We see all these rituals of, and the law and the Old Testament were all negatives or pictures 
that were pictures of Jesus to come, right? The Old Testament all pointed to Christ, right? That same Jesus has come. We have the real deal. The real deal came. We don't need to go back and look pictures of it and, and say, oh, we have to do these laws. We have to do these laws. But Jesus fulfilled all those things. And I have a J. Vernon McGee story that illustrates this. And I want you, I'm warning you, this isn't my words. These are his words that he used in this illustration. So there was a World War II story of a soldier and his young bride. He was about to go off to war. And so he goes off to war. So his, his wife carries this huge picture of him. You can hang it up on your wall. It's so big. She carries around in her purse. And any person she meets on the street... She always pulls out this picture and says, Oh, look, look at my husband. Look how handsome he is. Look how handsome he is. And J. Vernon McGee said, Well, he really wasn't that handsome, but as long as it made her feel happy about it, then it was fine. So everywhere she went, she showed everybody this picture. Then the day came and the war was over, and she was excited. She flew all the way to Seattle uh, to meet him. Do you think she brought that picture of hers with her? To go meet him? She didn't. She had the real thing right there in front of her. She probably didn't even think about that picture because she had the real thing. She had her husband right in front of her. So why, or do we, we have Jesus, we have him. Why do we need to look back at the the law, the man-made stuff, when we have the real thing right in front of us? We don't have to focus on the picture of Jesus. We don't have to focus on the law, the man-made stuff. We don't have to do that. We have the real thing in our midst. We have the hope of the glory of God with us. That's what we see as the shadow in verse 17. Now we move to our second heresy. The second heresy Paul is warning us about is do not be intimidated by mysticism. Big word, mysticism. The next two are big words, mysticism. A simple definition of mysticism is a deeper or a higher spiritual relationship, a higher spiritual experience based on some personal intuition or feel. Uh, We talked about it's a higher experience, spiritual experience. Let's look at verse 18 and 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. Verse 19. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And I got another simple definition of mysticism. It is, I can get closer to God through my spiritual experiences. It's seeking spiritual, seeking out spiritual experiences. I don't just want to read the Bible. I want more. I want more experiences. You see, there's a group of people known as the Gnostics who were in the mysticism, the supernatural things. They, want, they believe they had secret knowledge. They believe that if you wanted to be a Christian, you had to have a greater knowledge of, of, and a higher one. Uh, we see these false teachers these time were into the supernatural. They were really big into these things that we kind of think are kind of creepy and scary and all these weird stuff. Um, they worship angels. They, we see that this is a big deal. They worship angels. This is a big deal to them. You aren't spiritual enough unless you worship angels. You aren't spiritual enough if you have these deeper experiences. 
You see, again, we see them intimidating us and saying, oh, you're not spiritual unless you experience these things. You just read your Bible, that's it? You just read this, that's all you got? You see, they're being intimidated to think, well, maybe we're not. Maybe we're not spiritual. We're not getting these visions. We're only reading God's Word only. That's it. We're just hearing God speak through the Word of God. That's all we've got. So maybe we're not doing enough. But again, Paul is telling you, do not be intimidated by that. Don't let someone tell you that you're not spiritual enough if you haven't experienced these visions. And something that, that is important, we see that they worship angels. Revelation 22, verse 8 and 9 tells us, verse 8, I, John, the one who heard and saw the things, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. Look at verse 9. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Ephesians 3, 9 says, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Do you see? Angels are created beings, right? So we see in Revelation, he tells us to worship God. And we see in Ephesians that he who created all things. Then look at Romans 1, 25 says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worship and serve the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Do you see? They're worshiping things that were created. Angels are created. Who are we supposed to worship? The creator. God made all things. And Revelation 1, 8 and 9 tells us we are to worship the Lord alone. We don't need to worship anything else. We don't need to be worship man-made stuff and stuff that God made. We don't need to do that. We worship the Lord. So we see, this is in my opinion, we see from Scripture that worshiping angels is not good. It's not biblical. Not biblical at all. So don't let anyone intimidate you that you have to worship angels, that you have to do this. And again, guys, this happens today. This happens in the church. This happens with Christians. They, they, they intimidate us. How many of you played sports in high school? You know, in high school, you have JV and varsity, right? You have the JV team and the varsity team. There are those out there in, in Christianity who say, if you don't speak in tongues or if you don't see these visions, if you don't get these direct revelations from God, these direct visions from God, you're the JV team. Only people in the varsity get these experiences because they're closer to God. They're closer to the Holy Spirit. They're the varsity. You're the JV if you don't get these visions. You see, they're putting themselves at a higher level than, than those that don't see these things. You're, not, you're down here on a spiritual scale, and those who see these visions are up here. And again, there are people who take the stage every Sunday morning that tell you this. I say, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Or if you don't speak in tongues, you're not on this level. Or if you don't see these visions or get these direct revelations of God, you're not spiritual enough. But listen, I've never got a direct revelation from God. I've never heard the audible voice of God. John MacArthur, my fa one of my favorite pastors, has been in his church for 50 years. He's never got a direct revelation from God. He's never heard the audible voice of God. Does that make him not spiritual? Does that make me not spiritual? If you haven't experienced those things, does that make you not spiritual? Does it? No, it doesn't. 
You see, these, these people think that they're coming across as humble. They think they're coming, but it's really a false humility. It's actually pride, you see? Matthew 16, 4 tells us, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. Do you see? A wicked and adulterous generation is looking for a sign. See, they're always looking for something else. It's not about Jesus. It's not about him at all. That's not being humble. That's being proud. Oh, I get these visions. I get this. I get that. It's about what they do. It's not about what Jesus does or what Jesus did. It's all about them. You see, the mystics taught you need Jesus plus a deeper experience, deeper religious experience, deeper vision, going deeper. But Paul says Jesus is enough. Move through our third heresy. We see Paul warning the Colossians not to be intimidated by his asceticism. Another big word, asceticism. Simple definition. Someone, somebody who lives a life of rigorous self-denial. Someone who lives a life of rigorous self-denial. Another way to put it is, I'm going to starve my body and feed my soul. That's what they're going to do. The ascetics were kind of crazy people. If you know anything about the ascetics. Um, it was somebody they believe who, who sold everything that they had. Uh, we may know them better as a, as a monk or a nun that sell, sold everything that they had. And it was always believed that if you did all those things, that made you more spiritual. You were more spiritual because you gave everything up to follow God, right? But that's a very rigid type of idea. Like, if you've got to give everything up, and you can't have nice clothes, you can't have any clothes at all, you can't have anything of value, you can't have it all. That's kind of a rigid thought process, right? Uh, we see with the ascetics that they would literally hurt themselves. They would beat themselves up. They, there's people that wear belts. They have like tacks on the inside and they would just constantly wear it and hurt themselves. They would whip themselves with like whips. Um, they're kind of crazy. Because um, they're thinking that everything they do, it's their body's fault. It's my, my body that's making me do it. It's making my body that, that, that's sinning. So I want to take it out of my body. But as we know, is that the issue? No, your body isn't making you do it. It's a heart issue. Our, heart, our hearts are wicked. It's not my body isn't making me sin. Right? We see in verse 20, Since you die with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? If we are saved by Jesus, we are, we are saved... Um, by the one true God, why are we still subjecting ourselves to these ordinances? Why are we still doing it? Why are we subjecting ourselves? Don't touch this. Don't do this. Don't eat that. Don't drink this. Don't handle this. Why are we doing that? Our union with Christ and his death on the cross calls us to no longer be bound by those ordinances. We don't have to be bound by these things. We're no longer bound to tell what we can eat, what we can drink, how we can worship God, what Bible we can... Uh, Read what clothes we can wear to church. We're no longer bound by those things. You see, we are separated from the human religion. We don't have to have the religion of, of legalism, mysticism, and self-denial that we've talked about, or any other uh, heresy that you think. We're no longer bound to those things. 
These false teachers came along and said, in order for you to be holy, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to, and with these ascetics, you got to live in abstinence. You can't have anything at all. You got to deprive yourself of everything good. Does the Bible teach that? Do we have to get rid of, deprive ourselves of everything good? No. There was people in the Bible who were well off and had property, had money, had nice things, right? We see in verse 22 and 23, all these man-made rules, all these man-made wisdoms, these people think that they are, they are doing the right thing, but again, it's all false humility. They're thinking, I've got to beat myself up, I've got to do this, I've got to beat myself in order because my body's a sinner, my body does everything. It's all pride, it's all spiritual pride that these ascetics had was, oh, I've got to beat myself up, I've got to beat myself up. See, self-denial is a false teaching. It's an effort to make themselves more holy than other people. Do you see that? It's all a front. Well, I'm going to beat myself. I'm more holy because I'm taking it out on myself. It's no humility at all. They believe, I need to suffer. I've got to suffer. My body's got to suffer to pay God back. But listen, Jesus suffered to pay our debt. He paid everything. We can't pay it back. We don't have to, to beat ourselves up. He paid our debt back in full. We don't need to beat ourselves up. And again, we see this today in the Christian realms. We, we all are familiar with the prosperity gospel, right? They all, if you have enough faith, you can get anything you want. You can have all these nice things if you just have enough faith. But there's also a thing that's called poverty theology, which is like, oh, you've got to give everything, everything up. You can't have anything nice. You can't have nice clothes. You can't have a nice house to live in. You can't have a nice car. But like the prosperity theology, they're both wrong. They're both wrong. God doesn't say, oh, you, 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 there can't be rich. There can't be, some of us have more than others. That's Okay. Today we have seen Paul has warned the Colossians about false teaching, infiltrating, infiltrating their church. They've come in and, and intimidated them, tell them that they weren't spiritual enough. They've intimidated them a lot. We see the first one we talked about was legalism. We saw legalism, it was legalism plus works. Legalism plus man-made laws. But Paul teaches us Jesus plus legalism equals nothing. Do you see that? Jesus plus legalism equals nothing. You can't have Jesus plus, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that. It doesn't work that way. Second heresy that we talked about was mysticism. You see, the mystics thought you needed to have Jesus plus going deeper. Jesus plus all these visions, all these things that we have to go deeper to get. But Paul teaches Jesus plus special vision and deeper notions equals nothing. You see, Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. You don't need it because why? Jesus is enough. And the third heresy we talked about was asceticism. Ascetics will tell you you need Jesus plus self-denial. You need Jesus plus hurting yourself, punishing yourself, Right? But Paul warns and teaches that Jesus plus beating herself up, self-denial about beating us up equals nothing. 
But I want you to see, as we have seen with all three of these heresies, is Jesus is always plus something else. Jesus plus something. And again, we see anytime it's Jesus plus anything else, it's equals nothing. It's all about what you can do. Again, it goes back to our society. It's about what you can do. What you can do plus Jesus. There are people out there that say to be able to be a Christian, you've got to have Jesus plus this. But it can't work like that, and it doesn't work like that. Paul tells us and warns us not to do that, not to add anything to Jesus. You see, listen to me. And this is important. Focus on what I have to say because I'm focusing on this just as much as you are. We see that Jesus plus nothing equals grace. That same grace that we are given by God was given to us freely. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to do anything for it. You see, he gave it to us. By dying on that cross, his grace was given to us. He took our sin, he took our punishment, and gave us grace and said, with me you can have life. And we see Jesus plus nothing equals hope. It's that hope that we had that we no longer had to be by ourselves. It's that hope that we had that we no longer have to be lonely by ourselves and think we got to do everything. It's that same hope that we have in him. That we can come to him anytime we have a problem. Anytime something goes wrong, we can come to him. Then we see Jesus plus nothing equals life. You no longer have life by yourself. You have life with him. Life with God. We see Jesus plus nothing equals eternal life with him. You see... When we have Jesus, we have eternal life with him forever. We will be with him forever in heaven. Not everybody can say that. Not everybody's going to have eternal life with Christ in heaven. Some are going to have eternal life with Satan in hell. That's just the way it is. But through Jesus, we have eternal life with him. And the most important thing that I'll say today, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Do you see that? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, this is enough. I don't need a vision. I don't need a direct revelation from God. I have the Bible. The Bible speaks. The Bible is alive. Do you see that? We don't need any extra visions. We don't need any extra revelation. We have the Bible. We have enough. We don't need anything else. We have Jesus. Jesus is enough. I don't want anything else. I don't need anything else. We shouldn't need anything else besides Jesus. He is everything. As I invite the band to come up, I want you guys to listen to me. Don't let anybody ever intimidate you in believing that this isn't enough and that Jesus isn't enough. Don't ever let anybody intimidate you saying that, that you're, you're not spiritual enough because you don't see this or you don't do that. You have this and you have Jesus. That's all you need. As we transition into our time of uh, communion and offering, we see today is Father's Day, right? 
Father's Day is a special time that we honor our fathers and honor everything they've done for us. I have a great father who's done everything and sacrificed everything for me. But listen, not all of us have fathers out there that are alive. Some have passed away, but some of us never had a father. But listen to me. When we come to the table to take communion, you, you can't have a father, and you do have a father who's done everything for you, who has sacrificed his life for you so you can have life. He died on that cross so we can all have life through him. We don't deserve anything that he's given us. We don't deserve his grace or his mercy. He has given us that freely. He said, here, you come follow me and you can have all this. You repent of your sins and follow me. He has done all that. He has given us all of that. And as we take this time to reflect as we come to the table, also this message today, if you are someone who has struggled with judging someone on what they do that isn't biblical, take it to God. And those out there that, that, that don't know who God is or don't know how to, to have that life, have that eternal life through him, there will be elders up here that can help you with that. I can help you with it. Have any questions? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we 